0: Hi, I'm Dan Hornberger, the host of Breaking Chains, the podcast that focuses on the grassroots of disc golf, the amateurs, the local clubs, the individuals who make a difference, and those who have had their lives changed because of the sport. One of my former guests, Nelson Batesel, contacted me asking if I'd be interested in interviewing a player he met at the 2019 Am Worlds tournament held in southeastern Pennsylvania. Nelson told me this player who hailed from the Netherlands, had an incredible story, one that truly reinforced that disc golf is a sport for everyone. I told him I was certainly interested, and thanks to Nelson's help, I had the privilege to interview Laura Nachtigal. Laura's story is unique, enlightening, and inspirational. She is my first international guest. Laura Nachtigal, my guest for this episode of Breaking Chains. I think I have this pronunciation down. Nogdegal.
1: It's it's okay. <laughs> the the proper way would be nachtigal, like the the, the G sound in Juan. Twice that horrible sound. If we hadn't traded New Amsterdam, now New York, with the British for Suriname, we'd all be eating licorice and getting the G's perfectly. So, how about that for breaking the ice?
0: <laughs> Laura, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Uh, thank you for having me. Oh, sure. You are my first international guest. Thank you very much. And when I looked up your hometown online, I, I got to tell you, I, the, the photos were just stunning. The, the city looks absolutely gorgeous, especially the old city section, I, I noticed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so if you would, for the listeners, please describe, and, and I think I have this one down. This is, you live in Utrecht, correct? Utrecht. Utrecht.
1: We, we have a funny language. I, I don't hold it against anyone. I apologize <laughs> in, in advance, Ushimi.
0: <laughs> Can you describe the town for, for the listeners?
1: Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, and I'll skip the Wikipedia and Time and Lonely Planet things. But basically, I describe it as Amsterdam, but smaller, cuter, friendlier, and with less of everything that people know Amsterdam for. So it's like a you know it's it's like a lovely compact yet green student city with a historic center as you've uh, as you've seen in the photos and with historic i mean thousand years plus like it's originally built on a 2000 year old roman fortress and for size it's slightly larger than pittsburgh it's uh, about 350k and for us that's like a giant city in this country of like per 17 million in the whole country and this is uh, the fourth city already all the picturesque imagery, imagery you might know of Amsterdam, and as you've seen in the photos, it could just as well be Utrecht, the moody lightning, uh, lighting, ancient churches, swirling canals with side terraces uh, by the waterside. and yeah, your, your typical Dutch brick house facades, and I live there in, in actually a n- newly developed part. It used to be farmland, and yeah, it's a few more people, lots more space. And I'm basically sharing my garden with the bees, butterflies, birds, pheasant. It used to be pheasants, hedgehogs, and chickens that uh, that used to be there.
0: Oh, that's great.
1: Yeah. Have you lived there your entire life? I was born and raised in the province. I've spent a few years on the other side of the country, like a whooping 80 miles away. Um, <laughs> and I've lived in Rome, Italy for four years. But... Uh, I'm I'm born and raised in the province and since 2005 I've lived in the city proper
0: Utrecht is very big on the arts
1: on arts on sustainability on acceptance on just just don't don't be uh, a nasty person I I, w- I would call it like a lovely lovely city it's maybe a bit of a combination of Boston and San Francisco if you will with a bit of Colorado uh for Colorado, thrown in.
0: Do people travel to Amsterdam frequently from there? Is it would be sort of like it would be sort of like me. I, I live about oh, about an hour uh, west of Philadelphia, and if we want to go into the uh, go into the city, we we drive down to Philly.
1: It would even be less, and uh, the the Netherlands, especially the part of, uh, where I live in, you can compare it with like the the Twin Cities, sort of Philly, New York, or Baltimore, Washington. We have four giant cities like between 300 and 800 K and they're all sort of linked. It's 25 minutes per public transport, about 30 by car. And yeah, obviously people travel. I typically don't because I'm not too fond of Amsterdam and Utrecht is pretty enough. And with me traveling over the world so often, why should I travel in my, in my spare time, <laughs> like sitting on sitting on the sofa or in my hammock that that's holidays for me.
0: So tell me, who is Laura? Nach the I think I have it right now. It's 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 pretty good.
1: Yeah, I okay. uh <laughs> that's like a solid eight out of ten. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, if if only you've seen the, the amount of visas and everything, room tickets, plane tickets, even commemorative plaques. My name is misspelled, so mispronunciation is just like Hey, I haven't heard this variation yet. So. <laughs> so I, don't, I, I, I see it as something funny, so I, d- I don't take offense in any way. Yeah, who's Laura? Laura is a happy and outgoing human being with a fair bit of history and experience, a multi-tool unicorn, and some mascara in her backpack. And yeah, you know, that's, that's, that's me in, a, in the shortest of nutshells. How old are you? I'm 44, at least my passport okay. says so. I feel
0: late 20s. Great. Yeah. And... You have such a a, a cool professional background. Uh, can you talk about that? Cool is is sort of like the like the
1: operative word for the outside. If you're on the inside, it's oh. uh, it's it's like a military operation. I work <laughs> in, yeah, in I work in live music industry usually as a guitar tech or tour manager, and yeah, we have deadlines wishing past potentially lethal situations on stage that you need to prevent from happening so your musician stays cool and clear and you get a thumbs up at the end when everything went all right and the crowd goes nuts for the for the artist and i'm there as a, as a hopefully essential cog in the in the clockwork
0: and you've been doing that doing that for how long
1: uh for 17 years full time and yeah, uh, I've 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 been sort of on and off uh, for a few years when I was focusing more on PDA work, but full time seventy years, twenty five in total. And basically, if you if you ever been to to a concert yourself, you see these people in black running across yep. the stage before and during and after the show. Roadies. Yeah, roadies is one of the one of the descriptions. Yeah, and supposedly they're invisible, but every now and then you just have to be right there with the singer because something's
0: wrong with SmackStand. so you've been doing that for 17 years and in your bio you wrote that you've traveled all around the world from those travels what places are your favorite if you have any
1: yeah no no i i do but yeah ha- having traveled like that, that's sort of like the typical question you get oh you've been to so many places yeah i've ticked well over 130 airports been to 50 countries six continents and everything but it's basically just all stamps and sometimes a tedious sometimes exciting commute it's um yeah as far as favorite places go i've i've done a few wonderful sort of solo moments whilst whilst being on tour i remember this one time we were in the hopi reserve and we'd been invited by the chief they they organized the, the the show and we'd been invited by the chief to have lunch with the chief and his family After that, the the rest of the band and crew went to the old town slightly further up the hill to look at the the old people doing their crafts, souvenir building, Mm -hmm. like the the tapestries, the the dream catchers. And I just decided, I'm going to sit on this cliff overlooking nothing and just feel. That's that's sort of are my favorite moments on, on tour. I've never been, oh, I need to see this. This tourist trap or that tourist trap, I've seen the Statue of Liberty like six times when doing that bend getting into the Holland Tunnel. I've never been close to it. I I don't feel the, the the urge to. I've been to this close to the CN Tower. I didn't go up it. I've been to this and that beautiful place.
0: Do you have the time to do stuff like that when you when you go to these places? Because. I would imagine that with with everything that's involved with staging a concert, that it requires a great deal of time. And by the end of it, you're tired and you just want to sit in your hotel room. I, I You know, that where, where you described uh, the Hopi moment, yep. you know, that, that to me, that sounds like a beautiful moment of solitude, which you probably don't get too often.
1: Absolutely. When, when, you're, when you're traveling, it's usually on a tour bus. And then that's where you stay as long as you're not in the venue. You travel overnight, so you don't actually see much, except for when it's a really long drive. You get to see the nothing you cross, and there's always lots of it. I would technically have time if I were to wake up early and we arrived in the the next city early enough. But yeah, you'll you you know a little bit about my history. I was so yeah restrained, flatlining, censored. I wouldn't allow myself to be anything other than all work and no play, lest Laura would jump out. So I would just not even tempt myself to go near that. But technically I would have enough time and and, and options to, to go do it or on days off go venture into the city. I just rarely did. And do I regret it? Yeah, to some point. But I've uh, I've seen enough beautiful things. But yeah, for me, those beautiful things are like, those moments of solitude, really just being in the moment, and I, I would go to the tiny mom and pop shop to have lunch, not to the oh, that's they the best the, usually. Oh, absolutely, and and yeah, I wouldn't go where all the tourists go. I, I don't need the the hallmark photos. I don't need those. I would much rather just walk in the in the back streets of so, such and such city and just smell the city. And like 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 that, uh, Barcelona in in Spain, Brisbane in Australia, San Francisco, yeah, that's that, that's that's the the, the places I I would feel at home in, and then I would actually make sort of make mental note: this is where I'd like to come back come back to because this is what I like, like New York or LA as a city itself. That that's that that's never been me,
0: and yeah, to 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 each their own. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. When this whole virus thing eventually ends, will you go back to touring? I should hope so. Or are you doing other? Oh, okay. So I didn't know if you were venturing off into another another branch. I'm
1: trying to sort of make amends, but well, my passion is there, my work experience is there. I'm basically I I have no degree in anything, but I've got 25 years of experience and a pretty good reputation, if I might say so myself in a field that the rest of the world snubs so oh i don't know. really yeah 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 it's the, this industry doesn't even exist like uh yeah it's just a bunch of roadies having drinks and drugs together yeah not re- not really it's it's more like
0: It would have lasted if that was the case
1: yeah absolutely it's it's more like a submarine operation and you dive in you come up in every in every port and then you go to your to your next port again so it's 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 literally like a precise military operation but yeah, I love it. I wouldn't want to be without it. And aside from that, if I do earn a full month's pay here, I would get up to like $7,000. And in a normal job being without a degree, I'd get just about enough to pay my rent and nothing more. And then I still yeah. have to live. So it's f- from the financial point of view, it's actually a necessity, but the passion already pushes me back to wanting to do this. But is this going to happen, or anytime soon? I highly doubt it. I'm thinking twenty twenty one maybe twenty two before you can actually have concerts again, somewhat oh like boy. they
0: used to be well let's let's talk about the the virus and how that that's affecting your country.
1: I would like to think that we've managed to get a pretty good handle on it. We have like single digits numbers in mortality currently, and when we peaked, it was. I think about a hundred uh, a day. So, but it, it also is, our population is seventeen million. But in essence, we're like New York City and New York State. We're the hubs hub. And we're such a mix mix and match of a mishmash of just people coming in and out every time. Amsterdam is is like JFK and Newark Airport.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it could have been so much worse, but uh, our government, guided by science, said, we need to do this. We know it's not going to be fun, but you need to do this. I personally have been in uh, voluntary lockdown since March 15th. And only last week when I got a housemate, I have seen maybe 10 people and half of them were physicians in hospitals.
0: I want to go back to your profession and I, I have to ask this because I love music and, and I, I wanted to ask you if you had any chance to work with any any famous bands or musicians? Yeah,
1: well, I've typically worked for for bands like 800 to 8,000 people, but yeah, I, I can drop a few names, but yeah, would you know Oh, please them? do. And a band, bands that I toured the US with, for instance, that already narrows down the field a little bit. Uh, Exodus, actually um, a Bay Area trash metal band they've been around since the 80s. I toured with Porcupine Tree, sort of like Pink Floyd, but modern day music. Okay. I've toured with Blind Guardian, with Turizas, and like your eyes start to glaze over. But most bands were metal, several subgenres of metal. Greg Barsby, for instance, he's actually come to a few shows, was like, Hey, can can I come to your show? I love this band. Yeah, yeah, sure, coming in.
0: Now, is that your choice? I mean, is that your preference to to be with thrash metal bands, or do you just do you just go with anyone who is hiring?
1: In a, in a way, we're just we're just prostituting ourselves. Like, hey, you pay me, <laughs> I come with you. With, with with all respects to the profession itself, yes. uh, either way. But yeah, I've started working for one of those bands, and your resume is built by word of mouth. One tour manager on one band said, hey, I like how you work. Do you want to do my next tour with Ben so-and-so? And that's that's how it builds. I, I could give you this list. I've almost worked with Alice Cooper, Neil Young, Ricky Martin, Vanessa May, and Kings of Leon. But all of that was almost, because I was, I was asked for availability, but then the follow-up question never came. But... Yeah, I've, I've, I've been close enough to the big, big, big bands, but never quite landed the spot, uh, landed the job.
0: Okay. Well, let's get to the, the topic of disc golf. Yeah. And somewhere along the line, you're introduced to disc golf. And how did that happen?
1: It was actually my sister who'd, who'd introduced me. I'd uh, been to one of her birthday parties at some point, and there was a basket. At least I heard it was a basket and some discs in the garden. And I was like, what do you do with those? Well, you just throw them in from a distance you're comfortable with and so, so. a few years later, I I had a lull in, in my work schedule, some some free time, and I asked her, like, hey, this sport that you're playing, what what was it called again? Could I maybe come watch one time? And she said, Hold on, here's a putter, here's a few discs. Next Saturday we've got a tournament in um in Amsterdam. The the park is going to be opened. So I want you to join us and try not to finish last. Uh, okay. <laughs> so I, t- I took to the field to the, with with those few discs, and yeah, you know, I I played the tournament. I threw everything sidearm because then wow, I could get like a hundred fifty foot drive instead of a hundred foot drive. Because yeah, you know, not having any idea of how to fly the disc, other than knowing the physics behind it, but not how how to control it, I actually managed to tear a muscle in my arm for sidearming
0: everything incorrectly. Not on that first day.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, on that very first day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> during, during <laughs> oh the second God. round and I uh <laughs> finished last by eight strokes. But um yeah, it was hook line sinker and uh yeah, the rest is history.
0: So you're you despite the coming in last and and tearing a muscle, you you you're addicted to the sport?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I've uh, I've always liked physics a lot the the kinetics the mechanics and this was finding me a sport where like hey trajectory angle momentum speed wow this is like i, I could have played snooker for for the same reasons but i landed with disc golf and yeah I, I was sold instantly and over time i've actually learned how to throw discs somehow lefty
0: so but you did you then taught yourself how to throw backhand
1: yeah, 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 yeah. I, okay, I knew, yeah. I knew instantly, e- even from the very sparse videos that were around then. Sidearm just doesn't really work. It would have been useful for me because then I could pretend to be a right-handed player. But just looking at, you need to have the timing so perfect just to get the li- the disc on that line you needed to, and with the backhand, it's constantly on that line except for when you release way too early or way too late. Right. Just by chance and statistics, I was like, I need to do the backhand because it's going to be better.
0: You see very few professionals. Sarah Holcomb is the only one that comes to mind. Yeah. Who predominantly uses the flick. I can't think of any guys other than... There's
1: quite a few that like to play them regularly, like Nate Sexton, for instance. Nate Sexton, yeah. He's got this killer firebird in his bag.
0: How long was the transition for you when you started to, to eventually get to the backhand? Well, there was sort of weeks. Well, that's it. Just weeks. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I threw that first tournament, sidearm, and I just instantly knew this is not going to work. I, I can't keep destroying my arm, so I need to find a solution. And like, okay, oh, backhand it is. Oh well, we'll do it. And for yeah. years, I've tried not to use the sidearm unless explicitly needed. There was no other way, and yeah,
0: so uh, so it was writ. Okay. When you're traveling professionally, yeah. do you have an opportunity to play during your travels? I've,
1: I've had a few chances, mostly Finland, once in California and many times in Florida. But I'll, I'll tell you this about my very first disc golf tournament, even as PDJ. It was my second tournament ever. The, the first one in Amsterdam with the Tor Muscle. The second one was a few months later. I had signed up because I knew the festival I was working at for two with two bands on two different nights I would have the chance potentially to play daytime disc golf and nighttime work and so so I did and here was my schedule Wednesday I arrived Thursday I looked at the course Friday morning I played my first round terribly <laughs> Because it was a Finnish course with Finnish pros, it was so overwhelming and and intimidating. But I did. I was way last. And back back then, my goal was not finish last, and it's been for years. But I finished my round. I went to my hotel, got my uh, got my professional gear, went to the festival. Finally done with uh, splitting the money, being tour manager as well. At four thirty a.m. I took a shower, got in a cab, got to the course for my second round, did the same, played slightly better, went back to the hotel, back to the festival. The band got the band's gear got delayed, so they played after the last band instead of somewhere mid-evening. I got back to the hotel at four, took a longer shower, went back to the course, <laughs> played my third round in terrible weather. That uh, you, you might have seen this video, anti-gravity putt, where. A, p- a person throws the disc at the base of the pole. it f- flips up and enters the basket from behind. No,
0: I haven't seen that
1: it it's it's that course and that wind, and then I went back to bed on Sunday. <laughs> I would imagine so <laughs> yeah. yeah so yeah i've 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 double dipped in that sense a few times, much to my pleasure because for me it was like a double win the band pays for my flight abroad. I get to throw disc golf as well. Yeah, so what if I don't sleep?
0: <laughs> it's yeah. highly overrated, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I and I even managed to to walk away with a, with a trophy then for the, it was a fundraising event done at California State University, where the, the Otter Open M is, is played by Merle, Merle Whitfoot. I ended up winning MA3. That's
0: wreck, yeah, wreck.
1: Yeah. And uh th- that was actually my first my first trophy that I picked up.
0: Laura, you said something a few minutes ago that I really want to hear uh how you respond. Yeah. You said for two those t- first two tournaments your goal was not to finish last and you yeah. finished last. Yeah. So so and I'm going to tell you that there are so many people out there who have that same objective mm-hmm. and yet they they end up in last place. Yeah. What motivated you to keep trying? What
1: motivated me? Well, in part, just just the numbers part of it, ratings. I knew players rating, how they were composed. And I knew that if I play above my rating, I could finish DFL. If I play above my rating, I've done well. And that 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 was my, my lifeline, my goal. And if how I placed in the field, I couldn't care less. I still don't. And uh, that th- that helped me. And over time, as I developed some skills, I even in the beginning, I learned, okay, the power is this. My power is plus 18. If I score plus 16, I've done well. So I just took everything relative to and my place in the field. I don't know. I don't care.
0: That I think is key that you decided not to worry about where you end up in the field, but you made it more... A competition with yourself
1: oh absolutely it it was is and will continue to be it it never was about beating the competition it's beating myself and hopefully
0: the course okay you've had such a long career and and a long association with the pdga yeah in what capacities have you served
1: it's it's turned turned it to be uh, quite the list now uh i've been country coordinator for a few years and actually, prior to that, literally, uh, like the tournament in Finland that I talked about, the next week we had our national tour, and we call it national tour, but it was the twenty players we had in the country getting together for a two-round date in a in a, in a temporary setup. I was asked by by the person I drove with, like, "Hey, you seem passionate about the sport. Do you maybe want to become chair for the disc golf chapter for the national association?" Okay. <laughs> and and, and for, from from there, I've been like board member at the National Association for a few years. I got asked by the then country coordinator to take over as country coordinator in 2012. Two years later, being a country coordinator, when the Euro tour manager stepped down, I was nominated by my peers for that position and by a unanimous consent. I was then voted to be that.
0: That's terrific.
1: Yeah, yeah, abso- absolutely. And I, I actually received on that during the same tournament, European Championships, I received the PDJ Europe Volunteer of the Year award. That's great. And I was like, "This is way too much, way too early." But can I please accept it as like my to-be-earned lifetime achievement award? And they were like, <laughs> um, "Well, okay, if if you want to." <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and it's, since then I've been the Euro Tour manager, so was. Not de facto, but in practice, I was sort of the leader in Europe in, uh, in tandem with Brian Hunniger, the international director. And we had started talking and developing plans on how to make Europe bigger. And as a result of that, I got appointed to the PDG Global Board to replace Carolyn O'Call, And a few days later, elections started. I ran, got elected, and I was on the board for two years. And in the meantime, I'd I'd been asked with this project together with Brian Hurneger to be the interim admin for PDJ Europe, pre- pretty much forming the bridgehead in Europe for PDJ Europe to be formed. Okay. Yeah, and as of last September, I'm board member again.
0: What's involved with being a country coordinator?
1: It's best to be des- uh, to describe it with the state coordinators that. And province coordinators that the US and Canada have, mm-hmm. but without the elections by the PDJ, you, you elect your Pennsylvania state director. We have our country coordinators for you, typically the same amount of people and population appointed or elected by the national association. But in, in work and responsibilities, it's the same minus the, the mileage. Uh, restrictions on certain tiers of events where you need to coordinate between each other.
0: Right. So tournament directors from various clubs or around the country will coordinate with you uh, when they hold their events, correct?
1: Uh, if, uh, if the national association would decide so, yes, then the country coordinator would be the, the final green light or not. In our country, it was just like, do you have any questions to the PDG? I'll handle it. Memberships, okay. I'll handle it. And tournaments, you want to run them, I'll help you with the how. I'll help you with the tournament uh, manager. But that, that part was uh, was completely, if you want to run one, go for it. But other countries are strict where the country coordinator actually gives the final approval.
0: You're serving on the board right now, you said? Yes, yes. And, and the same, the same title.
1: Yes, I'm. Uh, I'm one of the the members of the board of directors. I don't have. I don't have a commission commissioner status. Okay. There, there's currently what is it? President, vice president, secretary, and treasurer. I am one of the other three.
0: Okay. Well, that's a perfect lead-in uh, to the next question, which is: How is the disc golf community in the Netherlands different from that of the U.S.? Well,
1: aside from the glaringly obvious size. We, we currently have about 200 associated players, 84 with the PDGA, versus the tens of thousands right. in the US. But the, the biggest difference is that while in the Netherlands, it's been around for about 40 years, so it came fairly soon after it was introduced in the in the US, it was always just individual players. There were no clubs. I'd like to believe that I helped the advent of clubs so you could actually Form a we, form a community, and it used to be, oh, I'm done with my round. I'll hand my card with whoever's there, if anyone's there, get in a car and get back home. I don't want to wait for the ceremony because there wasn't one anyway, let alone a barbecue or anything. Or there, there was no player initiatives outside of the round. And with the clubs being there now, growth is uh, finally a sustainable. We're building a community. We're not at the, the point of Fly Mars and catered lunches yet. But we're we're, we're making progress. And the, the, the we feeling that, that a community has. It's it's developing. So that that's a big uh, that's a big victory. But it's it's also the big difference with the US because in the US that's what disc golf is about. And oh yeah, you also need to play. How many courses are there? It should be about nineteen, but half of them are under 12 holes some of them are privately installed where it's paid to play but there's our national tour runs on 10 events uh six or seven of them could be played on full 18s and some of them we we use a few extra baskets some of them are temporary and then instead of playing two times 18 we play three times 12 because small country means small parks lots of Population density also means lots of people in the parks. So we need to really play as tightly as we can. But there's, uh, yeah, there's 15 to 20 courses in total, and about 10 of them
0: proper competition level courses. How many courses do you have in your local area? In other words, what, what's your home course? Uh, my home course used to be Amsterdam,
1: about 90 minutes by public transport, but 23 miles away. And as of l- last month, the first course that was installed in the country in the '80s has now been refurbished uh, to a full si- to a full twelve. It used to be down to seven, and three of them were overgrown. That course is fifty, 50 minutes by bicycle, about uh, yeah.
0: What is it? Ten miles. I need to ask you this because I I'm ex- I, I've added to my bucket list. Mm-hmm. I read an article last week about Finland. Yeah creating this golf island yeah uh where, where there will be i believe the number was 16 courses
1: yeah i've I've not read the full article but i got that far in the uh, myself as well yeah
0: so i imagine how long would it take you to get there uh
1: to get there uh well i don't exactly know where it is i think i sort of know where it is that would be two and a half hour flight a bus ride and probably a taxi to actually get to the island very obviously or dinky uh d- dinghy and then, yeah, play.
0: I, th- I think it's going to be a major hit. I really do.
1: Yeah, I, I certainly think so. And Finland is in numbers of players. It would be, I think, California or Texas still holds number one. Finland is a solid number two. But then at only 5 million players, the density of disc golfers in the country, it's ginormous. To to give you an example, at one of these tournaments that I played whilst working at a festival on the Sunday when I got back to my hotel again, the Sunday evening, national television news. And now for the sports Mika Hakkinen won the Formula One. And now we go to uh, Tali Park in in Helsinki where Seppopayu just won the Tali Open. Oh, and now there's soccer. So because it's news and it's newsworthy, they report on a disc golf tournament in the national news that that's that's finland so yeah this this disc golf island will be locally and internationally an absolute hit if if there's holiday resorts on the island or near the island book book your flights go on holiday
0: play disc golf for for weeks i can't imagine how much fun that would be (laughs) (laughs) i i know i will get there one day
1: yeah Just make sure you warm up and you bring mosquito uh, spray. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah, well, Finland is referred to as the land of the thousand lakes. Lakes have mosquitoes.
0: The goal of breaking chains is to grow the sport by presenting fellow disc golfers who have inspirational stories. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, send an email to rockfishproductions at gmail.com. Or you can contact me through the show's Facebook page or Instagram and Twitter accounts. Check them out, and if you're so inclined, drop me a line or provide some feedback. I'd appreciate it. If you'd like to support Breaking Chains, simply go to the show's site, www.rockfishproductions.com, and click on the red button at the bottom of the page. This episode's guest is Laura Nachtegal. In the show's second half, Laura discusses a life changing decision, M Worlds, and her future. It's a story that should be shared with not only the disc golf community, but also the world. This is Breaking Chains. My my opinion on the disc golf community has been that it it is that it's incredibly welcoming. Mm -hmm. And I read on your bio that four years ago you made a very major life-changing decision. Yeah. And then some... If you don't mind talking about that, and and I hope that your experiences have been the same, that you found it, you found the community welcoming. Yes or no?
1: Uh, Short answer, yes and no. That there's there's a stark difference between where and when. Prior to my transition, uh, which I started in 2016 and effectuated on the disc, of course, spring of 2017. Before then, I would come to a tournament. I'd be uh, welcomed with open arms. My first trophy ever was furthest traveled for the Southwest Florida Open. I have been adopted for lack of a better word, by the late Paul Bagwell of Ocala, Florida. He would literally take me around the the state in his own Prius. He was a retired mail serviceman, and he would travel with me to tournaments. We would go on a day trip to Jacksonville and play two courses there, and then on the way back, play another one. So yes, absolutely welcoming. I've even stayed, whilst I was literally a no one, I think I barely crossed 800 ratings. I slept at Climo's place several times. He took me on private tours past the, the course he designed, Cliff Stevens, Cypress Point. So yeah, absolutely welcoming, including... And I've received many couch offers. I have given many couch offers. It's it's literally this you know, this unwritten law. You stick together. You're wonderful to each other. You're disc golfers, therefore you're okay. And then my transition happened in Europe. I've started an open dialogue about hey, this is transition, and ultimately I'm going to be applying for gender reclassification, as it's called officially, to be allowed to compete in gender protected divisions and I wanted to to be open about it, give a heads up to my future competitors, players that I've always looked up to because I never looked to Simon others. Or you. I always look to Natalie Holakai, to Camilla Grunden, the, the the top European women, not the top European men. Um, so I I pretty much wrote an open letter to them like, hey, this is what eventually is going to happen. I hope that you can accept me. If you have any questions, please reach out. And basically the vast majority of them just said like, well, of course, yeah. And uh, yeah, by the way, may the best woman win. Oh, well, that's good yeah ab- absolutely. and And of course, there were a few that were worried about me stealing the lunch money. Payouts are a fraction of what they are in the u s for lack of sponsors and the rules being applied differently by by choice uh, from from the pdj international program. But yeah, a few of them were worried about it, but they did so from ignorance, and then all I had to do basically was just explain, hey. But this is what transition actually does to your body. You, you 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 see me throw 370 foot, that's going to go away. I currently max out the 280, and I'm happy with that. But uh, yeah, uh, last summer, I went to the US for Amateur Worlds, and I had just been approved a few months prior to playing gender protected divisions, i.e. the women's divisions, and the the rules in Europe being slightly different, you need to compete in an event to qualify. Okay. So I qualified for the division I would be eligible for until November 18. That would have been MA40. So when the invitation criteria and invitation lists were sent out, I showed up, FA 40 and I was like, hold on, I've just fought three three years so hard about doing this. Socially, financially, emotionally, physically, it is hard. But you do it because you know it'll bring you happiness. And then I thought, I'm going to go to amateur worlds and play in the division that I know I belong in. Couldn't care. Like, as per your first question, what about finishing last? I could not care where I'd finish. I I saw that when I registered, I was the highest rated player. So there was a pretty good chance I'd at least do something, but I I did not care. I just wanted to celebrate having overcome this journey and celebrated the, the, the cherry on the pie with playing at Amateur Worlds in that division. And yeah, I happened to win. And then the, the note to your question comes into play. It's been a four months barrage of endless negativity and attacks. Oh come on! The nicest of the negative comments I got was like, "Hey, a guy just won amateur women's." That, <sighs> th- those were the nicest remarks. And were they? Were these remarks coming
0: from uh, just online or what? Yeah,
1: yeah. Every, every everything online, social media is is king and queen nowadays. It was all online and the. There was there was a stark difference between who and what and where from. The few Europeans that commented in any way were either congratulatory or they came to my defense. The North American-based women were in large part, well, I'm not sure I like it, but she seems to have followed the rules. So, okay. Uh, a few women openly spoke out like, it is not fair, male advantage. This is not cool, and here's an opinion piece on why it is unfair. And then there was the, I hate to say it, but the the angry American Facebook warrior who oh. was absolutely convinced that I did this to cheat them out of what was legitimately, legitimately theirs. By pretending to be a woman and wearing a dress, and because I couldn't cut the mustard in my own division, where I should be playing according to them, mixed divisions, I just took it out on the weaker half, in their words. Of course, I was saddened by that for me, for the community, but what made it even worse to, to hear people say that is that by that message, you're categorically... With the broadest brush possible, brushing away any validity to women participants in this golf because they are, according to their words, the weaker ones that need to be protected and need to be protected from transgender women who just want to steal their what is theirs. And th- that was so inconceivable and so disheartening. Why, why did I actually read? And continue to comment on all of these uh, attacks. I felt that I that I had the... Like, because I wanted to, but also because I felt an, an obligation to those like me, and those who come after me, to be the lightning rod for them. I think I'm strong enough to just take it. I've had thick skin for the last 30 years because I, I wouldn't let Laura out. I I can process this. I can do it. So, bring it on so you don't need to attack them, and if I can enlighten you a little bit, all the better, like awareness, visibility, and hopefully acceptance that's that was my goal, and yeah, to a large part, it didn't seem to work. the effect it had was on myself mostly from I still don't know how my ten fourteen rated round at uh at one of the courses, I hit an absolute low. I cried on the fairway out of anxiety. I remember this one tournament in Amsterdam, my then home course. I accidentally hit the bullseye from the tee. And from my five-foot tap-in, I missed the basket. I was broken. I, I just had to get away. I DNF'd. I... I couldn't deal with it anymore. I felt the wrath of the internet in my in my back if I shot anything other than a piss poor shot. And it's it, it was like that. It's still like that. I've only done a few of the, the, the putting challenges in these last months.
0: And this is all after M worlds.
1: For for about four months from like I won July twenty seventh and on July 28th, it started. I didn't notice until August 1st. And it didn't let up until mid-November. And by then, it was sort of old news. But uh, yeah, this 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 was disheartening. And I'd like to believe that it's just ignorance. Well,
0: no, it is. It you,
1: is. You, you fear what you don't know. And your, exactly. your knee-jerk reaction is to fight it, to want to oust it. And I hope that... By being so open about it and being so, uh, yeah, get, uh, open in my story, open in my facts, I, I've I've literally posted graphs of my decline athletically. I've posted medical blood works and everything just to show like a woman has more power than I I do. I literally have none left, and the the only place where you can actually see that is. On an uncompromised distance drive. I used to hit about 380. I struggle to hit 280 now.
0: Laura, I, I sincerely hope that mm. you still did have some support from other folks.
1: Oh, absolutely. The EE Europe, pretty much everyone was either neutral or absolutely on my side. And we talk about support and who had the most to lose. Now think of the the people who finished two, three, and four at M Worlds during that event that I won. They were by far my biggest supporters. It was actually from round two on, we stayed together because we we were the the, the four lead card players and we stayed together. And already after the second tee in that second round, we just looked at each other and like, girl, we've got to stay together. We, We made a pact. We, we called ourselves The Pact, thousand rated fun. And we, we just made sure that, girl, go for the easy three. Go for the easy three. If someone uh, flubbed a drive or want to be, we'd all be there to lift the other one up. None of the, haha, I hope you fail so I can win. It was all the, we're doing this together. One of us will probably win, but we're going to have a good time the cards on the rest of the course looked at us having fun whilst fighting for this for this title. N- Nelson Beitzel, one of your guests in the previous episode.
0: Yeah, great guy. Really good guy.
1: Absolutely. I I'd, I'd met him during the players pack pickup and registration, and he was just this nice fellow who as I picked up my shirt, he introduced himself, said he, he actually voted for me because he read my name and saw so was was up for election for the board of directors. We talked a little bit, and we wished each other well, and that was it. And then I found out that he actually is the course director for the course that I potentially, if I hit the semis, play three times. And throughout the the tournament, and especially after that amazing uh, round four, the second time I was on his course, uh, where he just casually remarked like, oh, by the way, you almost broke Nicolo Castro's course record. It it was like I, I knew I knew in advance when when I looked at these courses it was going to be my the, the course where I had to convert. I had to uh I had to make what I could could make. It was all, all the holes were sort of like two ninety foot, so only Carrie uh French from Iowa and me could potentially go for the for the circle. Uh Mila Pumala from Finland and Tammy Coburn from New Hampshire, they threw about 230 to 40 to 50. So they never really had the birdie chances. They, they they got birdies as well, but they had to really work hard where Carrie and I could sort of go like, okay, I've got this. I could probably make it. And so we did. But that course was and the perfect length and lefty friendly. I was the only one lefty. Mila had a sidearm, but... Throwing 40 feet less than I she couldn't really go for the circle
0: that was Cadoris wasn't
1: it yeah Cadoris Township. yeah and it, with 11 of its holes being in tunnels and I couldn't save my life in the open field I'd spray my shots way too far and uh, uh, wide I mean and I I just couldn't win anything on an open field but in tunnel shots bring it on 11 holes I hit one single tree and it was a positive Kick to the circle. I've been trailing carry from the very first tee on round one. I've been trailing, and round four starts. I hit a birdie. I hit another birdie. We're tied. Oh, what's happening? I hit a birdie. <laughs> I hit a birdie. That was literally just drive and putt. And the last two are actually outside of circle putts, but I made them because, wow, what is happening? And then we hit the woods. And for the first time she was trailing me and I could instantly feel her trying to push her drives. But if there's one thing you should not do in the woods, that's pushing too hard. And um, in the end, I walked away with my, uh, to date, only bogey free round, minus eight. And that was a 1014 rated round. And like, what just happened? And when Nelson said like, hey, you almost broke it, broke uh, Nicos. Uh, record and I was like oh wow yeah that's awesome whatever I I, <laughs> I, 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 could, I couldn't quite grasp it it was weird but had that round not happened I would never ever ever won worlds it, it it was because all of a sudden from trading by two I went to leading by 13 there was no more pressure I could ju- it, it, it wasn't gallery play but I could just relax and just make sure go for easy threes if I happened to make a birdie Hey, wonderful. If I take a bogey, yeah, okay. I've got buffer.
0: You just hit that perfect mindset that day. Yeah. Everything just came together.
1: Yeah. And, and the whole tournament uh, was the perfect, uh, the perfect moment for me. And if it wasn't for Carrie, Mila, and Tammy, that wouldn't have happened. If any of them would have been sort of, well, you know, I don't really like it. I would not have ever felt that free. And uh, Mila, being from Finland as well, she knew in advance that I'm transgender. And the only comment she ever gave about it was, you should play pro. And I was like, yeah. (laughs) And I I actually agreed with her because, yeah, I should. But having never been a pro, I always played pro, but never been a pro. So you qualify for M's, not for pros. I was like, yeah, okay. And uh, the f- the first tournament after uh, Worlds, where I actually ended up in cash, I took my whole check, all of twenty two dollars, to at least be like, okay, now I'm pro. You could call me whatever you want, but I'm no longer a sandbagger.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, yeah, the to uh, with with Carrie and Tammy, I told them during the tournament, like, hey, I want to share something with you. I, I just want to play with open cards. This is my story. And Carrie was like, yeah, so whatever, you're a lovely person. Here's a hug. And uh she didn't say made the best win. But yeah, that, that was how it how it was, and it stayed like that. And during the during the last round, Tammy uh constantly one shot behind third with, with Mila. She actually took took the plate before we teed off and mentioned all of this, the pact we had formed from round two on the love we had for each other, the support we had for each other. And then I lost it. I just started crying. I played the round crying. I remember I, saw, I almost hit the photographer halfway down the fairway. I was offered a tissue by someone because they saw I was crying. I almost made my birdie putt on the last hole at Worlds. And after the tournament, uh, Joe Chargenoff, the the executive director, came to me and he was like, Oh, it's a good thing that you didn't birdie that one because yeah, you know, apparently that's not what you do. You just take take the owners with the last tap in.
0: Right. Yeah. You don't want to rub it in. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: I I, th- I think that, that's it. And I've I'd never been in that situation, so little did I know. And crying, bawling, te- tears running down my ass, mascara must have uh, run out as well. I just <laughs> threw the disc and it landed just in front of the basket and uh whatever. And all the while I had my unicorn that traveled with me all over the world with all my surgeries in my hand. And you can see that on the photos. And as I made the tap-in, I was just going to, I wanted to sit down and cry and just release everything from the from the years before and before the transition and just release. And there was Joe Jargolov. hey, Laura, uh, stand up. I need to... Um, Need to uh, pronounce you world champion to the world. And I, oh, mean, quick! can compose myself. Quick! Wipe, wipe the tears. And I've seen the photo. It looks horrible. It was all good tears, but I looked horrible on on, on those photos. And oh,
0: so what? <laughs> yeah, yeah it, that's it, awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah in, in a way, and uh, yeah, it, it it was good. And if it wasn't for these three women and for Nelson Beitzel, I would not have won the tournament. And, and with Nelson, actually, of course, he's seen all these cards come through his um, through through his course uh, over the over the week. And before the finals, when we were having our lunch in the in the shade, he he all of a sudden walked up to me. Hey, Laura, I, uh, oh, by, by the way, I volunteered to 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 keep scores for you for for you guys' card because yeah, there was just so much love on your card, and just yeah, I I want to be there. You 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 were. Of course, there's no favorite cards, but you were like my favorite card and I want to be there. And then he took me aside and told, uh, we talked about transition. And he told me that one of his friends was also going through transition. And yeah, uh, as friends do, they share, share details and just let the tears flow. And yeah, it, it was, if if there was any doubt about us ever being friends, it was signed and sealed and delivered uh, in that moment, and we, we've stayed close friends since. Even though we're, uh, you know, what is it, six thousand miles apart?
0: Yeah, well, merely six thousand miles. I, I was going to ask you: Have you heard from the uh, the other ladies on the card and from Nelson?
1: Uh, with with Nelson, I'm I'm in uh, close contact most of the time. Good. Uh, Mila, we, we we like and post on each other's posts on Facebook and Instagram. Because now we're famous players, we have our uh, <laughs> athlete pages. <laughs> so yeah, that, it's 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 good. And obviously, her only uh, her only remark to me being that I should play pro. I am a pro player now. I uh, qualif- I actually qualified for pro worlds because my rating was high enough. Oh great! Just over eight seventy five, being eight seventy eight, to actually qualify for pro worlds, not just pro masters, but pro worlds. So she, she'll be happy that I turned pro. Tammy is just busy uh, with family, and Carrie isn't really an online person. So I've I've sort of lost touch with them. But uh, yeah, with Mila and with uh, with Nelson, there's there's
0: regular good contact. Oh, that's great. Yeah, we don't know each other very well, but that moment—that's that's your focus. You, you know, the last four months, I I I can't imagine having to deal with all the negativity. And you know, with social media, maybe it's just time just to turn it off.
1: Absolutely. And I sometimes wish I had, but I knew I shouldn't because I want to be the lightning rod for the community. I was at that moment the first openly transgender world champion in disc golf, being high profile in the news and a board member. Uh, I actually got accused of having written the law and approved the law whilst not being a board member that would allow me to compete this way.
0: Oh, brother.
1: If you use alternative facts, you use alternative facts all the way. So it was such a high profile moment. I had to use that to the best of the community's advantage. Myself, I couldn't care less. Just like I said, I don't care if I finish last or first. And in this case, for the community, I wanted to be there for the community and make sure that their troubles would, even if marginally so, if they would be less, it would be a win for me, a bigger win than the world
0: title itself. Can you imagine back in the 70s mm-hmm. what Dr. Renee Richards went through? I can, I can only imagine. Just the, the onslaught of, and and this is before social media you know yeah. the the negativity that was targeted toward her, and it's just just very unfair the relentlessness
1: and yeah it 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 comes from ignorance and it comes from this is weird, mixed with a little bit of uh, you're the Frankenstein monster, here's a pitchfork, and there are torches you need to leave yeah, there is that, and it's it's been like that all throughout society And whether this this time it's the transgender person or as obviously. It's currently super high-profile, uh, George Floyd and and everything that happened around it. Right. For whatever reason, out of ignorance, out of fear of the unknown, there's always a us versus them. And yeah, last month, last year, I definitely felt that I was them, even though I uh, identify she. But uh, it's frustrating to notice it, but. All we can do, and and you can see that with what happened after George Floyd was was murdered and all the protests for Black Lives Matters, all you can do in that moment is fight for visibility, awareness, and hopefully acceptance. And you can see it with the police departments rethinking themselves with non-people of color actually coming to, hey, hold on. Yes, yeah, this actually is unfair. And how could we have ever? The awareness will be the step towards the cure, but for, but first you need to be aware. And I hope that I managed to to help towards that with, with my pain and
0: with my story. And, and you're also working to support folks because you do work with. And again, I, I'm going to say this: is it transvisi? It's yeah, that's
1: uh, that, that's that's the best pronunciation yet. It's transvisi. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's um, for lack of a better description. It's a. By transgender, for transgender, self-help organization, and where the the board of directors in that organization are actually lobbying for uh, rules and regulations to be changed on a national level. I am working for them as a counselor. So, uh, assume for a second, you or one of your children or your your spouse would come. To that organization and say, "Hey, I've got this question. I don't really know what to do and how to. And am I? How do I? What am I going to face? That that kind of questions. I'm there to help uh, with, yeah, confusion. Yeah, to take yeah with the confusion, taking taking away some of the doubts. Hopefully, giving that extra little moral support. Like, hey, girl, hey, guy." Regardless of which side you're going to transition towards or non-binary, hey, you can do this. I've got your back. The world's got your back. There, there be danger ahead. There be dragons, but you can do this. And you, you know, because that's why you came out. It, it's been itching for so long. You, you need to scratch the the wound, and that's the first step to, towards your own cure. And you have, you have full control over how you're going to be happy, and you're going to do this. You can do this.
0: Pursuit of happiness.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it's when when you just start to acknowledge that feeling inside of you, flabbergasted doesn't quite begin to describe it. You're totally upside down or or along the ways of like, oh, so this is why I've been feeling miserable for all these years. This is what I pushed away. This is what I repressed. This is scary. But I think I'm going to do it, and yeah, yeah, pursuit of happiness. And uh, as 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 I see for myself, h- how have I changed? I was an apathetic, flatlining, straight-jacketed robot. Th- that was me in a nutshell: all work, no play, like I did on tour. And now, I'm being I'm being called a smiling whirlwind. Uh, whirlwind! <laughs> I am being all the emotions and all the empathy I had inside of me. And all the love I had inside of me, it's finally allowed to flow freely. Just like uh, you you hear people saying in in the cliche, you cannot fully love someone else if you can't love yourself. Right. This totally applies, and then some, to transgender person. Because it's not just like, yeah, I don't really know how to love. No, you're you're actively negating yourself, negating your existence, negating your self. And literally, after I had that good talk with myself, I almost overnight, I grew self-acceptance, self-awareness, self-respect, self-esteem. Self-care became a thing all of a sudden. And over time, self-love. And if I look look at myself in the mirror, obviously aside from the fact that I see a beautiful woman, I see a happy person. And that is the victory. That's it. Yeah, absolutely, and it's all it takes. But boy, what what a mountain climb! What what a mountain climb! It's like twice the Mount Everest. But then the paycheck and the rewards—amazing.
0: How about your professional environment? Have they been accepting?
1: I would say yes. In twenty seventeen and twenty eighteen, when I was working full time as the PDC Europe interim admin, I. Also, because my main bands were in the studio, so there was no real big work. But I would sometimes do weekend tours, single festivals. I would write them in advance like, hey, guys, I've got something to tell you. I am uh, Laura now. You You can joke about it. You can make fun with me. You can call me by my old name by mistake. It's fine. If you start doing this intentionally and trying to hurt me, I now have high heels and nails and a brick in my handbag. Be warned. Ta-ta, see you in a few weeks. <laughs> that, 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 that was pretty much how I brought it. And and I've also noticed, like, the more positivity and the more breaking of the ice you you bring to the game, the more of that you get back karma. It, it absolutely works. And, yeah, so so it was. So so it was done. There, there were a few that were called, okay, Laura, I support you 100%. And others were absolutely welcoming and yeah, just literal embraces and figurative embraces. And there were a few like, oh, uh, oh, this is weird. I'm going to try not to call you by your old name again, but uh, yeah, this is weird. And I was like, okay, that's fine. I respect you. I can only ask. I can only demand your respect. I cannot ask for acceptance, understanding. So... If this is you, that's fine. Just respect me, please.
0: And a large portion of it, Laura, is is that it's none of their business.
1: uh th- th- that that too. But but then again, none of us live in a vacuum, so we do need to interact, and we do need to. Yeah, it, it's not necessary that you need to compromise, but there, there's a bit of give and take in in everything. You you don't understand something? Try to enlighten yourself. Try to understand. Try to not be a jerk about it. That goes both ways. So it it shouldn't be any of their business, but it is their business because I'm interacting with them. So they also have the right to be awkward about it. I wish they wouldn't, but it is fine. Just like, oh no, you have red hair, now I can't be your friend anymore. It's as bizarre as that. It 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 doesn't work that way. And my tenure with the PDJ finished in twenty eighteen. So I I went back to full-time touring and that's when I noticed that because I was very open about it and maybe in hindsight, I shouldn't have, but for all new bands, because my main bands were still in the studio, I said, Hey, I heard you have a tour available for this position. I'm available. Here's my resume. Oh, and by the way, I'm transgender. Before then, it was always sealed the deal inside five minutes, literally. Are you available? Yeah, sure. Okay, here's the dates. See you then. Now, it would take weeks and weeks of reminding them and asking them, hey, are you still looking? I'm still available. Nothing. From average 200 shows per year, I went to 39, I believe it was. And it took a while to fight through that. And I I think I finally uh, found the end of the, the tunnel, got out on the other end, Another struggle, you think, and literally in the first seven weeks of 2020, prior to the shutdowns, my last day of work was March 9th. In those seven weeks, I made 58% more revenue than in all of 2019, because finally it worked, and and maybe also because I didn't present myself as Laura transgender, but Laura. So maybe maybe that was all it was about. I did a tour as Laura. Hi, I'm Laura. Two people knew me from before, and i were like, Hey, but I think I remember you. Yeah, yeah, you do. <laughs> ah, oh, okay. And on we went. I'm sure that a few of them still don't know that I'm actually transgender, and that's the way it should be. I'm Laura. Total, curly, happy woman. the end, end of it. And it was going to be all sunny. I had my calendar full until fall of 22. And then Corona came by and said, "Hold my beer." Yeah. Yeah. Once
0: the touring resumes, or do you have a full plate?
1: Currently, it's been wiped completely clean. The tour that I was supposed to do in spring has now tentatively been uh, scheduled for fall. But they they said in advance, okay, we need to schedule it, but it's not going to happen. Right? The world tour that I had scheduled with a Swedish band from fall of twenty. Through spring of twenty one it's postponed indefinitely the world tour that I was going to do with my main band of ten years from spring twenty one through fall of twenty two all to be decided that there's there's a two week window scheduled for September of two thousand twenty one that's technically the first thing I have on my calendar that might potentially happen, and that is pending vaccines but by the time we get the vaccine for COVID-19 it's like hey hi I'm COVID-21 and it all starts back again so there's a pretty good chance it'll never be well it certainly won't be like it was and there's a chance it won't ever be that basically just oh remember back back in the 20th century 21st century when we went to concerts do you remember that grandpa yeah there's a Unfortunately, a very real chance it will be like that. Just like, remember, when you used to uh, heat your house on coals and fireplaces? Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, we have to remain optimistic.
1: Yeah, and and that's definitely what I'm doing. uh, I've fought and won so many battles. This one comes at a very inopportune moment. But I'm going to come out victorious once again. And I just keep smiling. I keep being positive. I I want to pay it forward through my work at Transvisi, through my advocating for gender inclusion, for women in general, just level the playing field there. I just continue wanting to pay it forward also because I couldn't before, I couldn't even pay myself now I've got so much energy and love and compassion and empathy to bring to the world. I'm going to do it one way or another.
0: That's terrific. Yeah. Two minutes! That, my friends, is the signal for the rapid fire round. To conclude each episode of Breaking Chains, I'll fire random questions at my guests. Some of the questions will be disc golf related, Others, not so much. Okay, Laura, here we go. For a one-disc round, what disc are you choosing? Stark T-Bird. What's the most unique animal you've ever seen while disc golfing? Armadillo. Favorite novel? Oryx and Crake by Margaret Atwood. Best restaurant in Utrecht? Mahal, an Indian restaurant.
1: Best restaurant in the US. Have I been to any is the question. (laughs) (laughs) I've I've been to a few Olive Gardens. I've been, and they're not restaurants. I've been to a few (laughs) not restaurants. And through the board summits, when we would then meet at night, we would go to a restaurant. They were always good. I don't know the names, don't know the places. So Okay, uh, just, you, 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 you pick one and uh, write it for me. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I really have no idea.
0: Favorite vacation spot? The beaches of Phu Quoc in Vietnam. Have you ever called anyone on a footfall? Yes. Worst weather you've ever experienced while playing?
1: Superly strong winds. The, the, the run that this anti-gravity putt was, was made in. I think it would be something like 50, 60 miles sideways, sideways wind.
0: Okay, last one's very strange. If you could choose one deceased historical figure with whom to play disc golf, who would it be? Oh, this is hard. Martin Luther King Jr. That's a great answer. Laura, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. I really appreciate your time.
1: Thank you very much, Dan, for for, for having me as your guest, your first international guest. And thank you so, so, so much for allowing me to to share my message, to, to, to also share my pain share the message with hopefully the positivity as the the enduring force in it thank you very much Dan.
0: my pleasure that wraps up this episode of breaking chains a great big thanks goes out to laura noctigal You can find out more about Laura on the show's website, www.rockfishproductions.com. Kevin McLeod wrote and performed the show's theme, Unwritten Return, and Big Rock. The music at the break, Flying Away, was written and performed by DP Music. This podcast is copyrighted by Rockfish Productions, LLC.